I don't think I have a future in radio. Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports, and you're listening to a special edition of Pickleball Problems. special edition of Pickleball Problems, and that is because I'm not at home in our usual Third Shot Sports recording studio. Uh, I am, in fact, on location in Kauai, Hawaii, and I'm here with a special guest. Hi, it's Friendly Kate. And we are here on our semi-annual conference uh, where we talk all sorts of pickleball stuff for Third Shot Sports. And um, because we're in Hawaii, we are working very hard, but I think for this podcast, Kate, um, I think we should enjoy ourselves. What do you think? What are we waiting for? Let's go. How's your club soda, Kate? I'm drinking beer. I don't know what you're drinking. <laughs> okay, so uh, special edition, and we wanted to um, do this podcast while we're here. And while people normally call us at one eight three three pickle b that's 833-742-5532, um, sometimes people email us with their questions. So... We are going to uh, take advantage of the fact that Kate and I are in the same room together. And Kate, uh, do you mind reading us some of the questions we've had lately? Not at all. So I have an email from Francis who says, if you had just one hour to introduce pickleball to a small group of people, how would you break down that time? Specifically, what percentage of the lesson would be focused on third shot drops? Okay, well, Francis, congratulations on introducing pickleball to new players. That's super. Um, to be honest with you, Francis, I would spend a whopping 0% of my time on third shot drops with new players. And I know, I know some of you at home are going crazy now, or some coaches are saying, what are you talking about? Third shot drop is the most important part of the game. That is not true. Let's put it this way, Francis. If you can't hit a third shot drop, can you still play pickleball? Definitely. You can still play pickleball without a third shot drop. You could play a third shot lob or a third shot drive or just, I don't know, something in between. You can still play the game of pickleball. But you know what, Kate? You can't play pickleball without a serve and a return. So if I had a bunch of new players out there, I would make sure right away that they were having a great time, that they were enjoying themselves, that they could hit their serve so it lands somewhere in the court, they could hit their return so it lands somewhere in the court, and I would kind of let that other stuff, that third shot, kind of come organically. And, you know, if they just started by whacking the ball around at first, that's fine. They can still play the game. They're still going to be happy. But you know what? You could have people who have amazing third shot drops. By the way, you probably won't if they're beginners. But if they can't serve and they can't return, they can't play pickleball. So leave the third shot drops for later. Focus on fun. Focus on getting that serve and that return consistently in the court. And let them figure it out. Okay, Kate, what else we got? Yeah, JP in Calgary writes, I've been working on hitting my dinks with more spin. I love it when it works, but too often I have trouble controlling the ball. What can I do to become more consistent? Okay, JP, that is a great question. It's one that's actually pretty common from people. Now, you said that um, it works when you hit with spin. Well, you didn't really define what that means. So I'm guessing if you're like a lot of people who try to hit these dinks with spin, you're talking mainly about side spin. You hit that ball and then it lands and then it bounce off, bounces off to one direction or another and your opponents have trouble handling it. Well, JP, my friend, I'm going to suggest you stop doing this. Let's ask ourselves, what is the point of a dink? Well, it's not really an offensive shot the way, let's say, a serve is or a high volley. A dink is a neutralizing shot meant to put your opponents in a position where they have trouble putting the ball away against you. 
So the key is that the ball is short enough in the kitchen and that it's low enough that your opponents have to hit up because then they can't slam the ball down and fast. So by trying to add the spin the way you are, sure, against some players, you might, you might trick them, you might fool them. They may not be able to read the spin and all of a sudden they're reaching for it. But what are you giving up? It sounds like because you're moving the paddle more, because you're creating that spin, you're actually causing more problems for yourself. You're making it hard to control the ball. So my suggestion to you, JP, is to stop worrying about the spin on the dinks and instead focus on having a nice steady paddle face, on keeping that ball low over the net, preferably within one, maybe one and a half paddle heights, and nice and slow. So gravity can do its thing, and by the time the ball gets to your opponents, they have to hit upwards. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. All right, Kate, what else you got? Uh, Linda from Fresno, California writes, I play against really good lobbers. What is my best strategy? Those lobbers, the people who go out there and they hit those high balls deep in the court, maybe into the wind, maybe into the sun. And typically, if you're like a lot of people that we see at our clinics, you struggle with those high balls. You struggle getting back for them. And even if you do get back to the ball, you struggle putting it away. So often when people get beat by a lob, they tend to focus on how great their opponents are at lobbing. But very often, I bet if you took video of some of these matches, what you'll see is that people are really good at lobbing when the ball that you send them is easy. So for example, let's imagine your opponents play third shot lobs, right? So they serve it, you return and come running in and join your partner at the net, and then they hit those balls high and deep over you. Well, my hunch is that when they play those great lobs, it's almost always when your return of serve is, well, easy. If it's slow and high, right to their forehands often, short in the court, a lot of people are really good at lobbing when the ball that you give them doesn't cause much trouble. So instead of playing that slow, easy ball right down the middle or right to their forehand, why not try to cause a bit more trouble with your return of serve? Why not try to hit it a bit faster or maybe hit it away from them? Maybe aim to a weakness like a backhand or even put spin on the ball. If you can do something that causes a little bit of trouble for your opponents, while they still might try to play a lob, it's less likely that they're going to play lobs as perfectly as they are right now. So my suggestion to you, do more with the shot you're sending them, and all of a sudden, those great lobbers might not be so great. Okay, I have a question from Marshall. He says, there are a few people at my club who just refuse to come to the net after returning serve. I know it's just rec play and we're all here to have fun, but I'd still like to get them to come forward so we can challenge our opponents a little. Gentle suggestions haven't worked. What can I do? Let's make sure we're clear on why it's valuable to come to the net after you return serve in the first place. When you're up at the net, you're reducing the distance between you and your opponents. So when they hit their shot back, it's going to get to you sooner than it would if you stayed back at the baseline. And when that ball comes to you sooner, that means that when you hit it back, they're going to have less time to react. Not only that, with you up at the net, you're more likely to receive the ball when it's high, which means you can hit downward, and if you can hit downward, you can hit fast, again, taking away your opponent's time. So the value of coming to the net after the return of serve is that you can pressure your opponents by taking away their time. 
Now, when people don't return serve and run to the net right away, it's usually for one of three reasons. First, they might not understand the value of running to the net. They just don't get it. And in that case, the solution is one where you have to educate them. They need to realize that coming to the net is valuable because it takes away their opponent's time. But sometimes people do understand the value of coming to the net, but yet they still stay back. Why might that be? Well, one of the reasons could be that they just don't have confidence in their volleys. While it's true that you take away your opponent's time when you come to the net, it's also true that you yourself have less time to react. So if your volleys aren't that great, if you don't have much confidence in them, you might be hesitant to come forward. So you'll stay back around the baseline or three-quarter court and try to survive from back there. If that's the case, then your partner needs to practice their volleys to develop a bit of confidence. And the third reason that sometimes people stay back after they return serve, even if they understand the value of coming forward, even if their volleys are sort of okay, it may be the case that they're afraid of being hit by the ball. If they're playing against really hard hitters and they're worried they're going to get smoked in the face, or if they're playing against people and they themselves don't have a strong background in ball sports, there are some people who will stay back out of self-preservation. So again, in this case, if they're staying back for that reason, you need to work with them to develop their volley skills so they can also develop more confidence. Now, one thing that you can do to help your partner, to make their life easier, to make them a little bit less nervous at the net, is to make sure that your return of serve is deep. If you return serve deep and push the servers well behind the baseline, then even if they choose to hit it hard, they're going to be so far away that you and your partner are going to have a relatively easy time handling that fastball. But if your return of serve is short and they get to move forward, that's going to make life difficult for you and your partner at the net. So, one, make sure your partner understands the value of coming forward, applying pressure by taking away time. Two, work with your partner to make their volleys a little bit better so they have more confidence hitting them and so they're less worried about getting hit by the ball. And three, make sure your return of serve is nice and deep and encourage them to do the same. So if that fastball does come, you've got a better chance to handle it. Whether it's our clinics, our videos, or our other online resources, here at Third Shot Sports, we don't fool around with gimmicks or other unnecessary stuff. And that includes our advertising soundtrack. That's why we've got friendly Kate here singing backup, while I tell you that this episode is sponsored by 20 Drills and 10 Games for Better Pickleball. Great drills, great games, nothing flashy. Available at thirdshotsports.com. The next question is from Anne in Texas. She says, we've got a guy at our club who hits the ball with one speed, fast. While I'm happy to play and win against this banger, some of the newer players look really uncomfortable. I'm not sure what he's trying to prove, but I worry that someone is going to get hurt. What's the best way to handle this? This isn't really a pickleball problem. This is a social problem. This is a person who doesn't understand how to interact in an appropriate way with people in a different situation than him. While it may be fine for him to hit hard against you because you can handle it, and it sounds like you're handling it well, uh, probably with really soft volleys, uh, nice deep returns. But that's right. If he's hitting hard against people who can't handle it, he is, frankly, being a jerk. There are people out there that can get hurt when you hit hard against them because they can't defend themselves. So I think, Anne, uh, it's kind of up to you at this point. 
or maybe if you want, up to you and a couple others, you got to confront this person. If this is open rec play and it's supposed to be fun and it's not a competitive match or a tournament situation, it's on you at this point, unfortunately, to confront him, to say, hey, so-and-so over here is, I can see that she's scared when she plays against you. Maybe tone it down or save those hard hits for the big boys. The big boys and girls, you mean? The big boys and girls. But whatever it is, you've got to confront it because that's not okay. And it's not a pickleball problem, it's a social problem. And we'll leave it there. Now, this was just part one of my conversation with Kate live from Hawaii. I hope that you join us next time where we'll continue the conversation. We'll continue to answer your pickleball problems. And you might even hear Kate ask me a question. And a man explain something to me. All right. See you next time. Mm-hmm.